0: audiobooks and square books in Oxford, an independent bookstore offering more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and bookseller recommendations. More at Libro.fm.
1: Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, November 1st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, hear from a U.S. senator fighting to keep her job and the former Clinton administration official looking to unseat her. Then learn about get-out-the-vote efforts in the often-overlooked Mississippi Delta. And in the book club, it's an inside look at the life of a political pollster. Plus, hear from a group working to improve the heart health of Mississippi kids. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi voters head to the polls Tuesday to cast their ballots in a series of statewide, regional, and local elections. The highest profile race is the special election to see who will permanently replace retired U.S. Senator Thad Cochran. Cindy Hyde-Smith was appointed by Governor Phil Bryan to fill the seat temporarily. She'll face former U.S. Agriculture Secretary Mike Espy, State Senator Chris McDaniel, and former military intelligence officer Toby Bartee. We heard yesterday from Bartee and McDaniel. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith is the former state agriculture commissioner. She has been vocal in her support of President Donald Trump and in turn was supported by him at a recent campaign event in Mississippi. Though the special election is technically nonpartisan Hyde Smith is a Republican and has been since she ran for the agriculture post but she served for many years in the state legislature as a Democrat a point frequently mentioned by McDaniel Cindy Hyde Smith spoke with MPB's Ashley Norwood
2: well you know many many years ago everybody in this state was a Democrat you know it was just uh, when I've ran for public office, everybody in the courthouse was a Democrat, but the Democratic Party was different 20-something years ago, too. And, uh, you know, my voting record just stands for itself. I came from a small town, you know, working parents. We lived on a budget and continue to do that. And, you know, I'm as conservative as anybody that has ever served in the state Senate. So the voting record really proves that that is real nonsense when they say that I'm not. And, um, you know, when I ran for the commissioner of agriculture's position the first time, I ran against two lifelong Republicans, and I beat them both without a runoff. So that that says a whole lot right there. So
3: you've been able to serve in the U.S. Senate for some time now. Talk about that experience. What it's been like, and if elected, uh, to continue to serve. What will be your some of your main
2: focuses? Well, I tell everybody I'm here for two reasons, and that's jobs in the economy and less regulations. You know, we just need an atmosphere in Mississippi that fosters economic development and the opportunity for a job and people to follow their dreams and not have to leave the state. And that is my number one focus. That's my number one desire, my number one goal, is everybody deserves the dignity of a good job. And, uh, you know, when you have the tax cuts and when you have the expansion and the economy growing like it is and the unemployment rate so low right now, we are prospering. And so that is a very good position to be in.
3: President Trump did come out in support of you. It was a big event in South Haven. Um, and one thing he said, a vote for Cindy Smith is a vote for Trump. So going forward, will you always vote in favor of President Trump?
2: Well, this isn't really about endorsements. It's not really about, you know, let's stick together. It's about doing the right thing. And I believe he is doing the right thing, and the economy shows that. Now, he is a very unconventional president, no doubt. But, you know, he has, uh, he's helped us so much, and even with the tariffs and the trade. You know, he said, Cindy, I am sick and tired of our farmers and ranchers being ripped off for agreements, trade agreements that are not fair to the United States. So, I—I'm uh, for one, I am extremely proud of him for going back to renegotiate those things that we w- will get Fair trade, because we just want fair trade. We want free trade. And, uh, you know, Mississippi, agriculture is the number one industry. One out of every four jobs is related to agriculture in Mississippi. So that's very important. And with the automobile industry, you know, his position is um, he's very good with the economy. He's very good at being able to identify where it is unfair trade practices that we're, we're involved in. And, uh, you know, he steps up and uh, he's very confident in the economy and to change those things, to renegotiate, to look at it, to point out, to, you know, recognize and make us recognize where the deficits are and the unfairness in these trade agreements that we've lived by for years, that no one's taken a look at it. So I'm really excited that he's doing that on behalf of the farmers and ranchers. And the people in Mississippi that I've talked to, they're excited about it, too,
1: Republican Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith. Democrat Mike Espy served in the U.S. House of Representatives until being tapped by then-President Bill Clinton to serve as U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. Espy has been out of politics for years, living and working as a Mississippi-based attorney. He says he's had to work hard to reestablish his public identity after so many years, but as he tells our Ashley Norwood, the evidence of his success can be seen in his recent fundraising numbers.
4: It it, it says all... It says it all because in our first quarter, we only raised about $300,000 and $100,000 came from me, right? People didn't know me. They didn't remember me. They didn't, uh, they didn't have a chance to, um, to review our, our positions on health care, on education, on pre-existing illness, on the closure of rural hospitals, on, um, on criminal justice. You know, people, you know, I, I haven't run it in 20 years, right? So I had to get out there in front of the people and, uh, and have them refocus on me and what I've been doing over this period of years. So, so now I think they have. And so the, the small dollar donations that I mentioned, that's really uh, how you gauge interest. So someone who gives $100 is someone who's going to vote, right? So whereas someone who maybe give you $100,000, uh, they may not because they've given $100,000 to someone else. So I, I, I like where we are. So I see it in the enthusiasm of uh, the people that I talk to uh, when I shake their hands. They grip my hand tighter. They look me in the eye. They ask questions. They uh, they commit to voting. So that's really what you want.
3: You served as the 25th United States Secretary of Agriculture from 1993 to 1994, two years. Mm-hmm. Considering that, I mean, so much <clears throat> has changed since then, obviously. And for those who may question whether or not you can handle the current political Climate. Um, how would you respond to that?
4: Well, the current political climate is why I'm running. I'm running for that reason. You know, when I um, when I look at Washington today, I'm really, really concerned. There's so much dysfunction, so much chaos, so much um, incivility. Uh, there's so many cases where the senators are turning uh, on each other rather than to each other. We wake up in the morning and we see all of these uh, tweets that are sometimes uh, very. Uh, born out of ill will, when someone is mocking someone or giving someone a name, and that's not positive. It's not helpful, and it doesn't promote what we need in the, in the country. When I was there as Secretary of Agriculture and when I was there as a member of Congress for six years, we fought hard as well. You know, we, When they shut that door, when we were in those committee meetings, we fought hard. You know, we fought hard for the interests of our constituents. But the difference is, I think, is that when the gavel came down and the doors opened, we went to dinner together. We went to church together. We spoke about one another's families. We had a genuine interest in, in the other person because we didn't think that the other person had nothing to offer. We didn't think that, um, that the ideas they offered had no value just because they were from the other party. And that's what I believe. So I believe that I could work with everyone.
3: Some polls show you and Cindy Hyde Smith, your opponent, neck and neck. Some show that you're leading. Talk about why you should win this.
4: I should win this because I'm the better candidate. Uh, People always, first of all, go to experience. It's he experienced, she experienced. We don't want somebody new. We don't want somebody who is uh, overcome with the experience. Uh, We don't want someone who had not been there before. Well, look at me. I've been there before. I served in the Mississippi Delta, the poorest county in the poorest state, and I served well. For six years. I started out getting uh, 85% of the African-American vote in uh, 2nd District and 11% of the white vote. But when I left there after being elected to my 4th term I was getting 95% of the black vote and 40% of the white vote. So why is that? Why would that be such a difference when Mississippi is so racially polarized? The difference is service. The difference is someone who doesn't care what race you are, what party you are, or your sexual orientation, or your religion or your party I don't care I care about serving them just as I did those six years and I want to serve them in the in the. US Senate
1: Democrat and former Agriculture Secretary Mike Espy. Espy and Hyde-Smith are on the ballot Tuesday, along with Republican Chris McDaniel and Democrat Toby Barty. For much more on this race and the race between Republican Senator Roger Wicker and his Democratic challenger David Beria, tune in to a special at issue that's Friday night on MPB-TV. Coming up, learn about get-out-the-vote efforts in the often-overlooked Mississippi Delta. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: We've got a big election. I am committed. We believe that this is going to be a movement.
0: I am passionate. They are going
3: to say we can't win. I am asking you.
5: On November 6th, the campaigning ends. Who will win and what will it mean for the country? Find out with live election night results and analysis from around the U.S. Critical elections, essential coverage, NPR News.
1: Coverage begins at 7 p.m. only on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. With midterm elections less than a week away, people in Mississippi Delta counties are working on foot and online to increase voter turnout. Jarrah Boo Hill is founder of the Mississippi's Worker Center for Human Rights. She tells MPB's Alexandra Watts that to her, anything less than full participation is considered low voter turnout.
6: I think generally we can say that turnout has always been much lower than it should be and that It's lower than the uh, voting age population. And so there's tremendous apathy and uh, there is a need to really focus on deep south states in terms of getting people involved.
3: Compared to other areas of Mississippi, how does the Delta region kind of fare in terms of voter turnout?
6: Generally, where you find areas where uh, there is extreme poverty and lack of opportunity, and also false promises that continue to be made to people and not kept, I think you're going to see a low turnout and low participation in terms of engagement. I have not done the research to see how, That's measured from place to place.
3: And what are some of the biggest problems that you see, at least in the Delta area, with getting people to vote? Do you see people who just aren't registered or people who may not be informed?
6: I think it's a combination. I think there are still uh, scores and scores, hundreds of people who are not registered. I think there are access issues in terms of transportation. Uh, There are issues in terms of the types of jobs that many people find themselves in, low-wage jobs. Uh, where they have very little power and uh, sometimes there's a fear in terms of taking off work and not being compensated because there's no real paid leave across many of these systems. Many workers work in temporary jobs where they don't have benefits and they don't have any freedom of movement, you know, during the day. Uh, So, and I also think that there are a lot of, there are still a number of uh, laws that continue to be broken. I think that there are people who are still intimidated at the polls and discouraged at the polls. Sometimes they are illegally purged from the rolls and when they go to try to vote, they're told that uh, their names are no longer on the list and that's very frustrating if they have to fill out a paper ballot uh, and there's some literacy challenges then that could be a problem as well
3: so for this midterm election how are you engaging people is it a lot of going door-to-door and canvassing is it a social media outreach how are you trying to reach people it's a combination
6: of those things it is of course Uh, In this age, in this day and age, there's a lot going on with social media. There's a lot of Facebook activity. Uh, Folks are taking to Twitter. Uh, We do mass emails to people. We also do the door-to-door canvassing because we think it's still very important to engage people one-on-one.
1: Jereba Hill is founder of the Mississippi's Workers' Center for Human Rights, and she spoke with Alexandra Watts. Coming up, it's an inside look at the life of a political pollster in this week's book club. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Temperatures are falling,
0: so that means car tire pressures are falling. How often do you think about your tires, the tread depth, rotating them, the wear pattern, air versus nitrogen? Tires will be our topic on the next AutoCorrect today at 10 a.m. on MPB Think Radio and on the Internet at mpbonline.org.
1: on MPB Think Radio, I'm Karen Brown. Elections are on the mind here in Mississippi, so we're focusing this week's book club on the chief pollster at CBS News. When you hear numbers in the news, can you really trust them? What do they mean? And why do polling companies always seem to interrupt your dinner? Anthony Salvanto talks about the method behind the madness of polling in his new book, Where Did You Get This Number?
5: What we're out there doing is trying to tell stories about why people are thinking the way they're thinking. And it's an exploration. It's a discovery process. The number is just the end of that process. But it's that discovery along the way where you listen to people and you ask them what they're thinking and you try to come at all angles of an issue, no matter what side folks might be on, that you learn things. And so I wanted to hopefully convey that sort of sense of discovery that makes the job so much fun for me because people are fascinating and they're interesting and they're a whole lot smarter than sometimes the politicians seem to give them credit for.
1: In recent polling, what can you tell us
5: about the upcoming midterms? Well, there's a range of possibilities. And one of the things I do in the book is I hope I show people how to see the world in terms of those possibilities and not just some percentage chance, because these are arguments we're having in a democracy. This is really a dialogue, even though a lot of folks tell us they feel that political back and forth can get kind of nasty sometimes, and sometimes those conversations are getting harder to have. We need to see this in terms of people and how they're coming to their decisions. A lot of people say the economy is good, and yet there's about a third of voters who not only say the economy's good, but say they're nonetheless unhappy with the direction of the country. And that's a split that we don't often see. Oftentimes you would think, well, if the is good, then the party in power is going to do very well. But those folks who don't like the direction of the country are upset still with Washington. They give the president a very low approval rating, even though not all of them are Democrats. We're watching those voters because they might ultimately vote on the idea that the economy is good and therefore vote for the party in power or the Republicans. And yet, if they are unhappy with the direction of the country or they want to put a check on President Trump, then they might vote for Democrats. And I think that's one key group that's in play and is worth watching. And another one that's very interesting this year are newer voters people, not necessarily just people who've newly registered, but also people who typically sit out a midterm. They might vote in a presidential, but in these off years, these congressional state elections, they're not always tuned in. Well, this year we see many more of them tuned in. Um, Last I pegged it, it was around 15 to 20 percent of all voters. That can be substantial if they all show up. And I think that's going to be one of the other, one of the Big, big things for everybody to watch. Folks who are answering our polls and telling us, yeah, this year I'm going to vote. I don't normally, but this year I am. If they show up, that will probably advantage the Democrats. They say they're leaning Democrat, these folks. And yet they're not habitual voters.
1: Pollsters got it wrong in 2016. Why did that happen? Donald Trump wasn't supposed to win the presidency, according to the pollsters.
5: I have to reckon with. That widespread perception. Why is it that people think the polls were wrong? One reason is that too often we as pollsters and sometimes as people read the polls, just look at the leader and assume that we're predicting a winner. And I often want to emphasize that, especially in close races and especially in races where the polity is having this heated argument and there are undecided people that Just because somebody is up by a point or two, or even three, doesn't mean they're going to win. It means that they have a little bit more support at the moment, but there's still a range of possibilities in play. And I do think that often in 2016, too many folks just looked at the fact that in some spots, at some periods, Hillary Clinton had this sometimes slight lead, and yet that wasn't, obviously, that wasn't a secure lead. Things can change. And so what we as pollsters need to do more of is go to the specific places that dis- will decide or swing the election. wasn't enough polling in 2016 in places like Wisconsin or Michigan, places that now President Trump flipped. And that's where the story was. And not just doing national polls because it's not a national election. It's state by state.
1: Where did you get this number, A Pollster's Guide to Making Sense of the World? And we've been speaking with its author, Anthony Salvanto. Thank you, Anthony. I enjoyed it so much. Thank you, Karen.
5: Thank you for having me.
1: Coming up, here from a group working to improve the heart health of Mississippi kids. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
5: This week on a special at issue, both of Mississippi's U.S. Senate seats are up for re-election. In the general election, State Representative David Beria is vying to unseat incumbent Senator Roger Wicker. In Mississippi, it's time for change. There's also a special election to fill the remaining term
4: of Senator Thad Cochran's seat.
2: The Second Amendment rights is very important to me.
4: We've got to make sure that we can stop this brain drain. I don't believe government should micromanage our lives. The issues of substance aren't being discussed. Friday at 7.30 p.m. on MPB-TV.
1: A national health advocacy organization is working to improve the heart health of Mississippi youth. The American Heart Association is celebrating 40 years working on child health in schools with the new Kids Heart Challenge. Advocates say physical education in schools, access to healthy foods, and resources like CPR help improve child well being. Liz Young is the youth marketing director for the American Heart Association. As we continue our coverage on the state of obesity, she tells us how the program is, is battling to improve improve student health.
0: We looked at expanding our program, being more inclusive, to bring in the whole child. That's super important to us at the American Heart Association that we focus not only on the physical health, but now putting a lot of emphasis on the emotional and mental health of our children.
1: How long has the American Heart Association been in schools? And is it literally in schools?
0: Yes. This is our 40th year in schools across the nation. We have over 36,000 schools that usually participate with us annually. And yes, we are in, we go to schools and they accept our program if they want to do it. So not every school has to do it or does it, but we would like every school to do it.
1: Is this uh, primarily elementary school students? We we
0: have a program in. For elementary, we have the American Heart Challenge for our um, high school. And middle school, we have lots of different opportunities for them as well. We have this year a new thing called the Warrior, which is kind of like an obstacle course that they can do through through their PE program or even just as an activity, as well as we have a dance component this year. So it's very flexible to allow the school to choose when they want to do it and how they want to do it and what works best. And I kind of work as a – As a resource for them, as a support system for them to help them implement it, I will come do a a heart-healthy presentation for their students, really whatever works best for that school.
1: Mississippi is one of the leading states for childhood obesity. Does the American Heart Association take on that challenge? Is that incorporated into the heart challenge, the New Kids Heart Challenge?
0: Absolutely. It's very near and dear to my heart that we change that, that we not be number one in that, that we could reduce that. But it really takes starting at elementary age, at kindergarten, at K-4, and being in the schools, in that school every year, year after year, not just one time, but year after year, hearing that message. Our message is always the same. We just present it in a different way. You know, the five things that we explain to children of eating healthy and exercising, avoiding tobacco, um, Getting their uh, drinking water instead of a sugary beverage, and reducing sodium. It's always the same. It's just we find new and fun ways to continue to present it to them.
1: Is there a website where parents and others can see information about the new Kids Heart Challenge?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's uh, www.heart.org backslash Kids Heart
1: Challenge. Liz Young is a Youth Market Director for the American Heart Association. Liz, thank you so much. Karen, thank you. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, it's MPB's all-news show, AutoCorrect. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about a story or send us a news tip by visiting MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.